Hello friends, this is Reed. Just a quick word before our episode begins for some context. The following discussion was recorded after the tragic events in Buffalo, New York, but before the horrendous events of Uvalde, Texas. Our hearts and our minds remain knit together in solidarity and prayer with the victims and their families of all such senseless and horrific tragedies. Thank you again, Foggers. We love you. Enjoy the show. Cannot enter the house of God. God is not here. This is an empty box. God is in all his churches. Your God's love is not unconditional. He does not love us. And he does not love you. I have done his bidding. My life's work is in his name. Your life's work makes him puke. I am the Bishop of Greshit. Your God knows that we wouldn't be here without you. It is all your fault, isn't it? She was a witch. Lies in your house of God? No wonder he has abandoned you. But we love you. We couldn't be here without you. Let me kiss you. scares us, and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find What saves us? This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here, but he said he needed to go open the treasure chest he found in the basement. Um, I'm sure he'll be back. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back into this current series. In fact, the ultimate episode in this current series, that of Scare Tunes, a series featuring animated fare not fit for Saturday mornings, highlighting material of a horror nature and an animated style. Um, So last week, we hung out with guest and continuity guru Steve Beckley, as well as a horny snake lady, also called Reed, 
as we discuss the anime Demon City Shinjuku. This week, we are relieving the Lord of Vampires of his despondency as we wrap up our Scaretoons TV guidepost look at all of seasons one and two of Netflix's Castlevania. But before we get there, permit me to remind you listeners that here at the Fear of God, we explore, we don't explain, except for right now, when I explain that you can find every fog and fear of God thing imaginable at thefearofgodpodcast.com, such as how to support us on Patreon, essays, team bios, episode archives, merchandise, read! <laughs> How's that morning star treating you, brother? What's up? How's it going? Hey! Whoa! You just—it's not you're even going just, all over the vocal map these days. You like know, that? You like that waitress in Shinjuku? <laughs> it's like, where did that come from? <laughs> yeah, which I, it's like, oh my god, the the voice does not fit the character whatsoever. Yeah, it's um, it, it, poor showing on my part. There was no uh, direct okay. like correlation, pre-thought. No, you know, I just sort of. Uh, just threw it out there. And, I think and, maybe and maybe it's your spirit. Regret. It's your spirit recognizing we're we're leaving Castlevania at least for the time being, mm. um, and you just you needed to to dwell back in. Like maybe you aspire to be a a part of the War Council. Um, I don't know. Sure. I don't know. What's, sure. What, yeah. I mean, what I lurks in that dark heart? Um, uh, maybe. Maybe. Hey. <laughs> so Riri, we <laughs> had we had quite a time. Last week with old Steve Beckley. Always a pleasure to have him on the show. Um, I, I love Steve. He's so fun. Speaking of time. Speaking, speaking of business time. time. Oh, yes. Um, so, Firestarter is about to be here. And I mean, it's, it's, it's upon us. It's <laughs> Tell me. Embers. <laughs> embers are burning. It's next week. Is it? Five, five starters. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Five stars. Five stars next week. Okay. Oh, right, so right. listen. Because the next series is after that. Okay. We'll, okay. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll pitch it at the end of. We'll pitch it at the end, y'all. Okay. But just to remind you. But yeah. If you have not started reading Firestarter, time my fear of God's life ticking. would be on fire if not for Reed Mikey. <laughs> I'm a pr- deeply appreciative of you, my friend. Um, no, so, so yes. Five stars next week. Yes. If you have not read Firestarter yet, <laughs> time's a waste. <laughs> you better get to work. You better get to work. <laughs> Um, so yes, Firestarter will be next. Week. It'll be nice to have the Quarterly King Cotet back on. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, we're going to, we're going to be mentioning this and maybe we'll take a break for a month and then come back in on it. But I, it's important for you to know it's there, uh, because yeah. the a moment in time is going to come where we're going to need you. Um, so right <laughs> now, you know, we, we, we inaugurated the fear of God horror movie awards. Um, yes. Uh, at the top of 2022 for 2021 offerings. Well, instead of just cramming all of that thought and brain process into a couple of weeks, we're giving you the year. So you can go now on the website, <laughs> thefearofgodpodcast.com, click on Foggies on the top banner. There's a suggestion box there. There are a list of uh, categories already there. Feel free to submit for the currently existing categories. Feel free to offer if some very specific category jumps out at you. We may consider that for uh, when the next Foggies rolls around as well. But definitely be, as you're watching Horror Fair, releasing this year. That's key that I feel like Mm -hmm. we haven't mentioned much yet. It feels like it goes without saying, but Mm -hmm. for people like me, for people like me, it doesn't go without saying. It's movies... (laughs) That come out this year, not that you watched this year. That came out this year. <laughs> that, that are came getting out this year. submitted yes. 
for the mm-hmm. foggies. Reed, I'm kind of excited. We've got some submissions trickling in and I know. stuff already. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I hadn't mm. thought about that, but that one works. Never would have thought of it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and also, I don't know if you mentioned this specifically, they can also uh, suggest a new category if there is something that does not already exist in the foggies world, uh, but that we need to consider. Yes. Yes. Let us know. <laughs> um, and we will consider it because... You know, that's what we're here for. Um, Consideration. We're about to go in. We're about to go into a patron-only segment. Uh, so, so ostensibly, the business point here is join Patreon. Um, <laughs> this one's going to be. Do, do you want to set this up, Reed? We we try to set up. We try to tease so, these patron-only segments so they know what they're missing. Exactly. Exactly. And feel compelled um, to not miss out anymore. Let's let's no let's mofomo. The, That's what I say. No mo. <laughs> um, let's save the let's save the bulk of the details for interior to the segment. But let us suffice it okay. to say, it will be an appearance by perhaps an alter ego to one Mister Lackey the Listicle. So we shall uh, we shall see. But uh, yeah, uh, let's. Why don't we just say there will be lists aplenty, uh, and uh, or at least one list with plenty of things say. on it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like who like, else? Oh where else God. these lists coming from? <laughs> let's let's just get into it, shall we? I feel like you're playing a new game this, in this era of just like what you know, Nathan. Just show up. You, I'll, I'll lead you to where we're going <laughs> to the patron mobile. About this series. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So we introduced something last week in the Mm. patron segment. Somewhat spontaneous. Yeah, it's in the patron segment only. You got to go back for that one. You got to go back for it. So, so, So this may be, for listeners abroad, this will be the, the introduction. There was, uh, some shade thrown at me, some, uh, some, cri- some criticisms, some, uh, you know, one no might shade. say constructive. Sc- criticism. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically the, listen, the episode summaries on this, we get a little long in the tooth. Okay. Nobody wants to hear Reed prattle on for four or five minutes. That message was heard loud and clear that nobody wants to hear Reed talk for like X amount of times while you're just relaying information on these, uh, on these summaries. Now, while I licked my wounds from that scar, something really fun emerged, and that thing <laughs> <laughs> was: you were like, "Why don't you just, uh, why don't you just make it a haiku? Why don't you just make it a, a like, a, an, or as we are uh, gonna say here, the uh, fog cue?" Uh, so uh, don't say that <laughs> terribly fast, or somebody will be very offended. Um, but uh, so, so what we're what we're gonna do is we're going to summarize the episodes. Of Castlevania season two, episodes five, six, seven, and eight. We're going to summarize them with little haikus uh, that hopefully capture yeah, the spirit brilliant. of what happened. And um, so, so now I have, uh, I have to ask: Did you make an attempt at any of these haikus? I have all four. Um, so I, partly, I don't know why I, I landed at these two, but yes, for episodes five and seven, I do have a fuck you. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so I'm. I'll start, but I'm happy for them to be alternates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, I'll start, and then uh, th- then we'll. It's just so fun. It's just so fun. On. Yes, sure, the fuck, sure. The fuck yeah. you. You know, it's like it's what? hard to resist trying to make it happen. But here's here's what I'd love to see from listeners: mm-hmm. is uh, listeners feel the freedom. 
please feel the freedom to introduce your own fog cues yeah. into uh, like about anything. Post them. I mean, just post them in, yeah. in public. Feel, you know, yes. out in the field. Feel the freedom. Yes, exactly. Hashtag feel the freedom fuck you. to create your- <laughs> Yes, hashtag fog cue. Uh, F-O-G-K-K-U. Yes, right. I don't know why that's <laughs> just, so just, hard. Yeah, I don't know either. Okay, okay. we got to get on with this. All right, so mm-hmm. episode five, which is deemed last spell. The summary fog coup is to Brela we go. Dracula just can't even. Knock, knock. Monster's here. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. I like it. <laughs> okay. My oh, effort what, here, which again, I only did for five alternate? and seven. Okay. All right. Isaac spreads ashes. Mm. Cypher cracks the magic code. Okay. Dracula was a badass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Emphasis on was. <laughs> was indeed. Indeed. Okay. <clears throat> so, yes, that was uh, the essence of last spell episode six the river uh the fog coup that i have and you don't have one for six right nope okay so episode six the river trio fights monsters now carmilla makes her move akio castle <laughs> yeah, I like it. That's good. Oh, I had fun with these. I had fun. Yeah, with I can these. tell. Um, I'm glad. Okay, it's a lot okay. better than reading the summary. <laughs> well, now I just want. I mean, to. Carry on. <laughs> now, now I'm just Alucard at the end of the series, just sitting alone crying at all I've lost. Um, okay, so uh, episode seven, which is entitled "For Love," the fog mm-hmm. cue is as follows: climactic battle. They'll never defeat Dracu. Holy crap, he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Yeah, I like the, you know, it's like you're breaking up the one thought. Yeah, the other thought, but it all still works in the fuck you. Yeah, I fit. Yeah, because I was like, I can't fit Dracula in there, but you know what? I could interrupt it. You could interrupt it with the third line, and I did. Proud of you. And it still matched the the syntax. So, yeah, I like it. Yes. All right. My effort here was the group confronts Drac. Okay. Turns out, Al's a lycanthrope. <laughs> wow. Everyone fights. Everyone fights. That's, That's in- Everyone entirely fights. true. See, I, Very so, nice. I, I, at first, I said everybody, but I'm like, no, no, no. Every is three, is three syllables. Yes. Right? Yeah. You could do, yeah. You can go the old, uh, you could. Uh, old, old fashioned hymn route and just uh, j- every or airy or anything like that. Yeah, you could if you needed it. Arrow one. You could, but you could make it too. But you could just every is error. You get and listen. <laughs> some parts of the South is just one. Re. I know. Re. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay, uh, you got one more okay. for end times. Yes. Episode eight, end times. Not as fun and funny as the rest of them, but still gets the point across. Okay. Our trio parts ways. Carmilla intends to rule. Sad Dracula's son. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. I love it. I love it. Yeah. See? (laughs) Netflix should hire us. 
Um, <laughs> so those were your uh, episode, uh, I guess, uh, essences, if you will, uh, the fog cue. Um, so yeah, uh, we can get into as many or as few details as you want to. I would like to begin here before we go into like. Okay. So we're going to be. Ta- I mean, this is not only the conversation around sort of the the, the finale of season two, but also you know, the broader conversation of this show as a whole up to these two seasons. Obviously, we are excluding any content to come from season three and season four because you haven't seen them yet and neither ostensibly have some of our listeners. Um, so <clears throat> I do want to get a vibe from you of like, how did you enjoy going through this series? Are you intrigued to continue the series uh, only if we cover it or on your own or whatever? Like, what was your takeaway from, hey, we've spent 12 episodes with... Uh, you know, Trevor Belmont and crew and Dracula and alt crew. So, uh, yeah, what what was your takeaways from the, or like, how did you feel watching the series? Enjoyed mm-hmm. it? Whatever's the whatever? Uh, I thought it was great. Um, <laughs> I made a reference last week, but didn't want to spoil for Beckley or listeners who weren't finished yet. Um, I never thought, this is not good, but the slow middle of season two, I, I, it was kind of just like, okay, you know, this isn't hard to watch. They're, they're you know, 25 minute episodes. It's pace surprised me. That's all. Um, okay. And so, and so to me, I think starting with the river, so six and seven are fantastic and, yeah, and yeah. pull whatever. I'm not even going to, uh, I'm going to use the word slump, but slump connotes negativity. That's, I don't mean negative, but whatever sort of valley, whatever sort of low place the pace was in, in the, the middle of this season. I mean, it, it more than compensates it, it, you know, more than makes up for that in mm-hmm. six and seven. I think they're fantastic. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, this will kind of come up a little bit more in, in my thematic thoughts, but the show up to now, I have no clue mm-hmm. what happens in three and four. Okay. Um, it's pretty subversive. I mean, I, from a, what I thought a Castlevania show would be, because here's the thing, Reed Lackey, uh, listeners, if you aren't a patron, you won't know that I just, uh, under my new, uh, uh pseudonym, uh, Nathan, the notary, <laughs> uh, a novice of nomenclaturism or something that Reed came up with in the moment. Um, <laughs> just ranked, eight count them eight i'm a dummy uh video games (laughs) i played since we of castlevania since we started talking about the show and here's the thing man uh those things get tedious af like it's like um okay whip the candle get a bigger whip uh go defeat dracula Stand mm-hmm. on a hillside overlooking as a castle falls into whatever it's crumbles. crawling into. Like, yeah, it's sure, just sure. very repetitive. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But the main takeaway being Dracula is always in those eight games, ex- excluding Kid Dracula, is always the final baddie. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I really was not anticipating that this show would do what it is with the slight caveat and asterisk here to the SOBs at Netflix who (laughs) decided that the landing page for this series. Yep. Did you, did you know that before I brought it up? So no, but 
your I, I don't know when it does this or why this does this. So my habit when I pull up Netflix, a series, my habit is pretty much the moment that I land on the series, either by searching for it or whatever, I click to it and then go to episodes and more. It's almost like a seamless action. Sure. Like I click yeah. to it, immediately go to episodes and more. And on mine, the episodes and more has no moving preview. Sure. It is just yeah. a and list of episodes. episodes. And more is, is right. Um, yeah. So what I'm referring to, listener, is, if you haven't discovered this too, is the the reel, the the preview that that plays on the landing page for Castlevania, uh, is literally Alucard saying something to the effect of "I killed Dracula." And I was like, <laughs> "What?" Because I hadn't, I wasn't there. I, I saw that before the show ended, before we caught up to where we're right. at, right. and. Right, right, right. I texted Reed. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like this, I, I, I feigned, you know, sort of like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna watch it and kind of, it is what it is, but I'm pretty sure this thing just got totally spoiled for me, which sucks. Um, yeah. so yeah. this is what I mean by being subversive is, you know, there's a season three and four. I don't know to the extent, if at all, I, I kind of hope not because of how well this season wraps up. I hope the character Dracula does not come back into play. Although granted all these Castlevania games are a hundred years later, Dracula's back. Like, okay. Um, so I, I suppose I should permit that possibility, but I love, I kind of loved the subversive nature of, uh, at the halfway point of the whole series, Dracula's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's a long one away. You asked me my general thoughts. Um, the, the pace, uh, is not a problem in full view of the season. In the moment, okay. the pace can feel a little more tedious in places than yeah. you might otherwise expect. But the action is strong. The writing is strong. The characterization is pretty good. Um, yeah. Again, we'll get to this. I love what they do with the character of Dracula. I love it. Um, Absolutely. I, love I said it. this when we first started talking about how surprised I was by that first, ep- by that first episode. And mm-hmm. so the 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 emotional thread of that is is pretty damn impressive and quite yes. surprising for mm-hmm. what you kind of expect going into this show. So so yeah I, yeah, I think at least where we're at, uh I am intrigued and and knowing that if the fear of god covers seasons 3 and 4, it might not be for a while. I'll probably, you know, keep keep going. Um as of yeah. this moment I haven't, so I don't know what's after season 2. Um So um, yeah. yeah. Can I can I give you a tease? Just a mild one. Yeah. I, I, I was so, going to prompt you at the end, but you're welcome to do that now too. So, um, as, uh, yes, Dracula being taken out and keep in mind that when I, you know, I watched these seasons as they aired. And so when I, in episode seven of this season was like, they really just do. I mean, he disintegrated, like he's gone. <laughs> like they he's did done. all the things he's over. They staked and, him, yeah, they burned him. They yep. stayed, Yes. Everything. And then the freaking, Carmilla even telling Hector towards the end of like, no, Dracula is dead. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this feels really final. Like it feels like absolute. And this season, not for nothing, this season ends on Alucard sitting up there mourning everything that has happened. I was like, that feels really, really effective. Bear in mind, Um, Reed, if you're about to tease that Dracula comes back, you're going to severely undercut my my theme here. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to resolve. I want people to watch seasons three and four. Here's what I will say. I will say two statements, hear them both. A major plot point of season four 
not of season three, but of season four. A major plot point of season four are certain characters who want to attempt to resurrect Dracula. Okay. Yeah. That's the first statement. Which is the theme of the games. Yeah. Yep. The second statement is the throughout the remainder of seasons three and four, that subversive element that you pick up on does not wane. Like for cool. me watching it now, granted I never played the games, not to that extent. You know, I played like the first game, the second game, especially on the classic, but you know, like that subversive element and component maintains throughout. So even by telling you that a plot point is characters who desire to resurrect Dracula in season four, that still does not, in in my estimation, foreshadow to you where you might think the show might be going for some right. of those elements. In fact, like, and I'm I'm going to be very deliberate with this. There's a there's a big bad. What? Nothing. You waved I, I, your hand just, at me. Oh, does, 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 no, that, I'm that be was very the deliberate. Like, you you sometimes tease things accidentally, and then you know. Yeah. But go ahead. I'm just. i no. All I was going to say is. There's there's a big bad in one of the seasons that is just invigorating. Like when they show up, and I know that they are a participant in the game. And when they show up, I was like, oh, oh wow, okay. It's just it's it's cool. I would encourage you. I don't know when we'll get to three and four, right? But if you at all had energy around this season, like just do yourself the favor as you as you can and desire and want to ride out the the wave through the rest of seasons 3 and 4 because i i do highly enjoy where the show goes i think it's a very strong show very consistently i mean not going to deny that that episode 7 which includes the fight with and death of dracula is among the strongest episodes of the show like that is sure. it, 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 it's, if it's i were incredible. to rank the entire yeah if i were to rank the episodes across the entire se- series but like I think I also mentioned in last week, either in the patron segment or in, I think it was in the patron segment, but I mentioned last week that like the climactic episodes of each of these seasons, they're all just like, they're, they're incredible, like 90 minutes of storytelling where you're just like, holy cow, just all the elements come into play. All what I was trying to allude to last week, um, but again, didn't want to over, over speak um, where we weren't at yet. Is uh, I'll 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 state the comp and and sort of uh, substantiate what I'm trying to say. There's a world in which this reminds me a little bit of Game of Thrones, meaning mm. the rhythm mm-hmm. of the season. I don't know if you remember this, but Game of Thrones had a very kind of deliberately paced. Uh, there might be kind of an opening salvo to a season, but then there's a lot of throat clearing and stage setting for what would turn yes. into a couple of climactic episodes yeah. towards the end and and so this season once six and seven start happening reminded me of that i was like okay yeah. well yeah. because mm-hmm. of my unfamiliarity with the total arc of this series castlevania i didn't know right. just trust hey they're they're not mm-hmm. you know just twiddling their thumbs in those couple of episodes there they are kind of building some things that are going to have strong yeah. payoffs and they definitely do do you want um one so question is, but don't answer it yet. Do you have any quibbles and bits? If you do or don't, let's talk about those two. Do you want to jump into that ain't right? Maybe isolate after that ain't right. Some singular like highlights of the series itself up to where we're at. And then thematic stuff. Does that feel? Uh, it does feel right. Uh, for the sake of, you know, continuing to canonize the segment, I do have one minor quibble 
and it is a it is it it is equivalent of format not of um necessarily of the show itself um i said this last week uh again i think in the patron segment but this is a show meant i think to be digested in big swaths i think it's it is better received if you engage it multiple episodes at a time it feels very much like each season is like you know a longer movie that happens to be broken up into chapters than truly feeling like episodic in nature um so that is a bit of a quibble for formatting because what that can do is if you only have time to watch a couple of episodes you might not have a very satisfying viewing experience because they're stage setting to your point about the game of thrones thing um or if you want a more satisfying viewing experience, you kind of got to sit and 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 consume three or four at a time to to get that chunk of narrative in. Yeah, it's a weird. It's just a weird media world we're in right now. Where just yeah, because yeah. because I'm, <laughs> I took it at its word. This is episodic. You can check in and check out, right. but mm-hmm. I feel like I lost rhythm and momentum by doing mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and when. Yeah. Now, again, those last few episodes are pretty propulsive. So, you know, it's kind of baked into the narrative. But a reason those worked so well on me is six, seven, and uh, six and seven, at least, mm-hmm. I watched one after the other. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, and- I, I don't, I don't know that that's a, I don't know how to, whose problem is that? I don't know. <laughs> you know what no, I mean? No, no, I get it. Um, well, and that and that's why I think the preferred way to view these ser- these seasons, if you do not have time to simply consume them all in a swath, the preferred way or the recommended way that I would say to do it is do at least two episodes at a time until you get to the final four of any given season, and then you know you're kind of pacing yourself along the way. Uh, if you can do three that'd be better because you're just getting more chunks of narrative in inclusion um but uh but yeah that it is it's it's a funky format that then when you get to the places that it's going the payoffs make it worth it like i i think the payoffs make it worth it when you get to where the story has been going it's just this is a little clunky getting there sometimes this isn't a this isn't i don't know if this is a quibble like I had the impulse to to ask a question about the future of the show, but I don't really know that I want the answer, but Hmm. the show does a really strong job with developing and getting me to care about our trio of heroes our hero trio Mm -hmm. (laughs) and equally, and maybe more so does a great job of in the long view, getting me to deeply invest in and care about, journey of dracula yes it does a mm-hmm. decent job at carmella once kind of her motives get fully fleshed out and revealed mm-hmm. where i'm going is i still don't i still i, I don't personally care about hector and isaac um they're fine okay. i don't care about mm-hmm. the war council idea that like it never kind of clicked with me that like okay a- anyway so so again not so much a quibble it's it's an architectural thing to the show that just didn't click with me um you know, perhaps with 10 episodes instead of eight, I don't know if I even want 10, you, you've got a little more breathing room. Um, yeah. As it was, some of those would just feel like random diversions to me. Like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. This yeah. is a the I, flashback of how Dracula woos a Hector and an Isaac. That's interesting, but flashbacks yes. of them individually. Like, eh, I don't really care. I will. So you mentioned like three different disparate elements, uh, a, a fourth and fifth in your preamble to those. 
I will say that one of those elements, and I won't say which one, one of those elements, I felt the same as you at this point in the narrative, and by pr- pretty much the end of three, had really pivoted and become significantly more invested in that individual element of the, of the right. piece. So, so yeah, all of that to say, like, there is a there is a part of me that's like, hey, I know time is precious, and we still cover material and everything. But there's a part of me where I'm just like, you know what? You know, if there's a way that you can just like download some to your phone and just find some, you know, downtime amidst certain other contexts, like or or something, you know, just like no, I'll read. Yeah, I consume just them. Spent the last three weeks playing eight stupid video games. <laughs> uh, I'm happy to to devote thirty minutes here and there to a, a show yeah, I actually really yeah. enjoy. Um, it is it is definitely worth it. I I consider it definitely worth it. It doesn't fall off a ledge where you're like, boy, <laughs> peaked it too. <laughs> now. Like it, reveal to the extent you can does i think you may have alluded to this this is for it yes and four concludes in such a way that the major narrative arcs are satisfactorily tied off there are tendrils and threads of things that like if there were a season five or a spinoff or something like that they have places they can go but it it lands in a place where it's it's not a cliffhanger ending it's it's not a uh like oh, and then they never got to finish the story. It's it's very like it wraps. Okay, um, the major narrative, I should say, wraps. Well, mayhap, friend, mm-hmm. might it be the time in our show where we discuss things that are not just wrong, but might be called ain't right. Sure as hell ain't right. Um, what's actually kind of funny about this show, and this is what I keep like, it's style kind of threw me. Um, mm-hmm. I I don't know why, although maybe just my understanding of the the structure of some of the games, I was expecting kind of more uh, overall kind of monster fights and violent oh, i mean sure mm-hmm. you know the, the the netflix tag up at the top of every episode is like um you know violence gore sex nudity i'm like this uh, i don't know that that <laughs> don't get me wrong some of that is present in certain amounts but at yeah, least where mm-hmm. we're at it's still pretty measured um when yeah. it gets gnarly it's gnarly um so i, I guess all that's a, a preface to say even though that ain't right some of them are, are a little more uh, tepid than others. Um, or tepesh. What? Why don't, uh, well, hey, hey. Uh, why don't, why don't, why don't you start? I, I feel like I've chatted okay. for a bit. What is yeah, the, go like a couple a each. Strong okay, so, for you. so the, the, I, tr- I tried to segment out in this selection, things that I found cool from things that I found like disturbing slash upsetting or genuinely kind of like, Whoa. And the number one for me, and to be, I'm sorry that, to cut you off. To be fair to our listeners here and myself, we're covering the whole. This is it, right? Season one and this two. Is, this, yep, yeah, yep. seasons one and two. So any any moment from season one and two is fair game. By pure coincidence, the first thing I'm going to cite is from the finale. Is from episode eight, um, and that's that. Carmilla has been this kind of 
sensual kind of manipulative presence, uh, luring Hector in, manipulating the puzzle pieces to kind of make her move to overtake Dracula's forces, etc. And the my first and chief, that ain't right, is when she finally loses it on Hector and begins just mm. beating mm-hmm. the fool out of him. It takes on this weird tone because it's it's... It's not just violence like gory. In fact, it's not that gory. There's spackles of blood or whatever, but you don't see, you know, like gore. But it's just the energy of it, of her just like wrangling him down to the ground. And then the sound design and everything just propulsively and repetitively landing blows on him while he's grunting and and, and crying out in pain. And she does it for an easy like... 20 seconds or so like it's just continual just bam 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 and we had not as yet seen that character get that destructively violent and uh and 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 it was a moment that i didn't find like cool energizing or whatever i was like it's a frightening thing so so that's my number one uh that ain't right in in this pair of seasons yeah you know Minimal commentary, if any, but I'm curious to kind of see if what thus far feels like pretty rich characterization for her continues. Because what's kind of cool is like, you know, you've already got the sort of species conflict of vampire Mm -hmm. human. Mm -hmm. Well, her character adds a layer to that of vampire gendered conflict within even the vampire. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Uh, her lashing out at Hector is definitely, uh, unsettling. Uh, I think what I will choose as my, that ain't right. Uh, because of it's the, the versatility with which it gets deployed is an, is, is an item in the show. And that item is Isaac's spiked leather whip. Thing. Ugh. You know, I think, I think your first introduction to it is him self-flagellating. Then you get the flashback. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it first gets used offensively, uh, to my recollection. Maybe this happens in the flashback too, but when I remember it first being used in this way against Godbrand is when he whips it around his head and just does that. And so I'm where I'm building to here is while that item is kind of this totem of, of, of that ain't right. Isaac's kind of coming into his own in that final scene when he just, just friggin ravages those marauders, that band of marauders. That's uh, on my list that's, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I mean, really great kind of character, you know, climactic character arc. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this this guy who had been on the bottom of the food chain, but had been sort of groomed by Dracula, had been, uh, he doesn't know, protected by Dracula, maybe just feels on the outs and suddenly in his own agency and power just just executes holy vengeance against these dudes who would, this, this band uh, who would. Oh, yeah. You know. Who have no, have no idea who they've just <laughs> right. provoked. No idea. Right. I mean, they are so cocky. They are there just like absolutely the epitome of arrogance saying like, oh yeah, you know, you'll do this for us. You'll do that for us. And I, I love the moment. Of course I, you know, seen it before, but I love the moment where he's like, is that the best you can do? 
to greet a stranger. Mm. You know, I just like, you can feel the menace rising. And then when he unleashes on them, oh, no, absolutely. It's just like, ooh, another one of those moments, like I would say, like, it, 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 it's got a, a breed of cool that's going into it, but it's also like pretty jarring and, and, and disturbing to see wh- how he dispatches them. Um, you want to do one more each? Do you have another um, one that you could go offer? Go for it. Sure. Okay. I'm going to cite, because it doesn't get talked about as much because it's uh, it, it was early on in the show. Um, the in, in season one, I believe it's either episode one or episode two. I think it's episode one. When the night creatures first begin to massacre mm-hmm. the people at Gresham, yep. and you see yep. little, you know, you see the woman is screaming and the blood soaked crib and everything like just like some of the just flash images and things like that that are in that little montage are really that's when you know, like, oh, this is a horror show. <laughs> like, that's yeah. that's what this is. And they don't often go to that extremity with it but that that moment is very because it's all dark and shadowy and yeah it's really creepy uh i will throw this in uh on layering on that as a bit of a quibble you know this this game of thrones comparison keeps coming to mind and um one of the things if if i were to really kind of look for something to criticize about castlevania though i really did enjoy it is i don't understand the geography like i don't i don't understand you know, one town to the next. What, what, and so I kind of wish there was a little, so like when you reference the night creatures ravaging this town, that's kind of a cool element. I wish I understood the relationship of that geography yeah. to wherever else we might be going or, you know, there's Brela, there's fair. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's fair. Gretchen. Like I just, I don't really understand how these yeah. places Tarkovish coincide to, with each other. Yeah. Sure. Uh, of course. Bless you. Um, <laughs> um, uh, this one I'll just throw out as kind of a it, it's slightly a lesser than, but it also signals because like the one you decided this is very early in the show. It's the second episode of season one um, kind of signals uh, signals a lot. And that's when Trevor whips an eyeball out of a priest's head, like whips an eyeball yeah. out of his head. Mm-hmm. Like, let me rephrase that. He takes a whip, whips it. <laughs> it connects with another character's eyeball and in so doing yoinks it out of his skull. It's pretty jacked up. That, that ain't right. I, he yoinked my eyeball. <laughs> <laughs> what hey, everyone. Hey, everyone. Hey, my eyeball done got yoinked by, by Leon Belmont. <laughs> I don't know why that character talks like that, but it's so funny. Hey. I, he, he yoinked my eyeball out of my head. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I can't see straight I, no more. My I eyeball done got yoinked. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, that's funny. You feel good about that, ain't right? No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Let's move on to some other stuff. Yep. That sure as hell ain't right. All right. All right. Um Can I can I can I steal a thunder? You may. You may. Thunder steal. Um, there are stronger scenes. So this is just kind of getting into highlights. Like, wow, this is, Mm -hmm. this is things we really sort of applaud about the show. There are stronger overall scenes, but I think one of the most energizing moments of up to where we're at 
the whole show is the line what what's happening around the line when Carmilla says bless the river bishop make the water holy mm-hmm. that's incredible mm-hmm. that scene is incredible it is this confluence of pieces of the puzzle you kind of didn't totally know were in play um, yeah you know she's got this zombified bishop or zomb bishop uh i like to call him <laughs> and using the mechanisms of his rights to oh bless yeah a body of water that's now going to be used against uh dracula's arm i don't know it's just i was like oh snap that's cool oh Very absolutely cool. and what it means for that character too like that character was so haughty throughout the first half of that show and then like you know using the tools of satan whatever felt so self-righteous about everything and then to be deployed as a kind of a you know just a mechanism as an agency for dark purposes it's it's a it's a really really compelling scene for a variety of different reasons it's a complex scene um i love the shot just the close-up of his face as he's blessing it but the zombified face with like Mm -hmm. half the half the jaw gone from where he got, you know, you know, suckled by the kissed. Night creature kissed. Yes. Ugh, ugh. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely love that. No, um, I love that scene. I will, at the risk of stealing some thunder, the, the, the beginning of the scene and its conclusion and everything. Dra- Dracula's death scene is, in, it, it, incredibly affecting to me when he is the first of all the fight against alucard is wonderful and then as he moves forward and it's and he you know like i love the fight because it's a little back and forth but dracula is getting like punched in the face multiple times and isn't even flinching like he is a he is a powerful force to be reckoned with gets like misstaked Talk about a mistake, <laughs> you know, like, oh, boy. Oh, man, it's great. But, um, you know, they miss his heart. Uh, Alucard misses his heart. But then when he steps into that room and just the, steps into Alucard's old room and just begins uh-huh. to fall apart about, you know, my son, my boy, and just crumble. It's you want to talk about subversive like that? I'd never yeah. expected right. to feel so much for well, the character like of just, freaking Dracula. You just, you just, you just took your stake and jammed it into the heart when we've got some <laughs> sinew and tissue to go over first. And like, <laughs> we, we will return rather quickly to that. But I mean, the, almost that entire episode, I mean, Reed, yes. when, when the tree, okay. One, See, now I'm just, I'm helping you. I'm building to what you just did. <laughs> but the entire conceit that Sypha friggin' Accio's the castle, this is also yes. another element of geography. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know where these things are in relation to each other currently, but sure, pulling it sure. to it. Yeah. But even just the mechanism, it's through the mirror. She's, she's magicking it all to it. That, like, that's pretty awesome. Um, mm-hmm. So that happens. But, but, once they enter, like I rewatched it before we were talking about it. Uh, I didn't watch the whole thing, but just the start of that 
massive fight once the trio enters the castle and yeah. it's just all these close-ups i love mm. it's like the whole action slows down there's all these close-ups of you know yeah. kind of like their hands and the, the the bad guys faces and stuff like that but i don't know if you know this but the whole score in that is a riff on the game's themes oh the, the sound, i didn't know the, that no the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. yeah and so so it's this mm-hmm. huge hero kind of moment you know they are now yeah. showing up to exact holy vengeance against dracula um so so that whole sequence is fantastic um kind of all the powers of of al trevor and sypha kind of combined to take on these warlords um building up to the final confrontation with dracula and i love love of love where i wrote it down Mm. trevor trevor deploys the morning star which we've seen multiple times over freaking blow people up it just Uh, yeah connects with people and just boom yes spontaneously combusts them you think it's kind of well you know you're made to think he just did that trick on dracula smoke clears and Drac just says, the Morning Star whip, well played, Belmont, but I am no ordinary vampire to be killed by your human magics. I am Vlad Dracula Tepesh, and I have had enough. And that's oh, when he hurls right. that giant fireball thing. So yeah, yes. that, all of that is just so awesome. That culminates, to your point, getting back to, to what you mm. were, the, the stake you were driving in here, like, this is kind of what I meant last week. And, and, and this is one of the few unfortunate things in your case about having the sweep of the rest of the series in your brain is it's hard, perhaps hard to isolate some of this stuff because like, what (laughs) you're, it's so anathema to what Mm -hmm. the version of storytelling. This is sort of quote unquote supposed to be is really you're, you're going to have, one of the singular iconic, uh, uh, you know, monsters in all of literature, mm-hmm. not be this. Um, he is a formidable presence for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But his undoing is his emotions. Yeah. Like yeah. what? What a powerful story choice. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, is only amplified by, as already has been referenced, Al's final scene, the final scene of the entire season. But, but no, I'm with you that like, what an incredible, what a brave choice to, to take what kind of on paper is just an action adventure story Mm -hmm. and turn it into this really pretty deep and you, one might say profound yeah. kind of examination of of despair and loss and pain and absolutely. sorrow. Like that's, that's, absolutely. That's incredible. Because everything wrapped up in the way that they treat Dracula in this in this series up to this point is I mean, yeah, like from the first moment we see him, we see him beginning to fall in love to a degree with this with this woman, with this human woman. And then this tension between Lisa and all that she brought to him. Um, it doesn't have an incredible amount of the same overlays, but uh, I think you've seen it, but maybe you don't recall it very much. Do you, do you uh, the Clint Eastwood film Unforgiven? You remember that? Uh, yes, uh, I've seen uh, it. Uh, probably yes, with uh, you, but, but I don't remember much about it. 
there's the 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 reason I'm bringing it up is because there's an element of it that he his character in days of old used to be just an absolutely callous, heartless monster would kill mm, right. anything. The Clint Eastwood was a character. And Clint the Clint Eastwood character. character. Yep. Yeah. And then he fell in love and that the 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 love remember that. softened yeah. him and and turned him into someone different. And then there's this tension throughout the film. I love that film, but there's this tension throughout the film Unforgiven of, well, is he now the the person that once was in love and is changed by that, or is he now reverting back? Now that love is gone, is he now reverting back into mm. the monstrous being that he is? Um, I bring that up for perhaps obvious reasons now that this is the a comparable tension that they're doing with Dracula right now. I love, 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 love when the War Council are considering like, oh, this is not revenge; it's suicide. Like this is not him trying to just exact vengeance by exterminating all the humans. Like, he longs to be with her. He doesn't know what to do and how to be except to be here. But he can't harm himself. You know, like, he can't, you know, he can't do much, you know, of, of his own volition because of how powerful and strong he is. Yet, there is this thing within him that is so devastatingly painful and uh, and so all of that is wrapped up in it. Then you have Alucard, which we ad- addressed in earlier uh, segments, that is, you know, uh, he's not fond of his father, but it's his father. And he is fond of his mother, who loved his father. And all of this tension that's in play for him having to bring his father down, and then culminating in that moment that... To, to what you said earlier, it's Dracula's emotions that undo him. He stops and like, it's, my heart, never in my life, I've seen how many vampire movies, how many Dracula movies, whatever, never in any of them has there been a scene like when he realizes that he's right. about to kill Alucard and begins to break down a bit. And, and the vocal performance by Graham McTavish is just incredible. The way that he endows such emotion in what is happening right there and he you know surrenders himself willingly to it almost to where he does not fight when alucard then brings the stake close and drives it home you know it's it's deeply affecting it's deeply affecting um and then i love the little moment when alucard is in the castle alone at the end and he kind of gets a vision of dracula's mm-hmm. spirit mm-hmm. sort of wandering through the like it's it, you keep, you use that word subversive, which I think is a really appropriate way to describe this show. It takes all of what you expect you're going to see and pivots it very directly into something that you didn't realize you wanted as much as you do. Like it's it's very hey, interesting. I don't, I don't want to spend much time here. Mainly, I'm just kind of trying to f- sort the timeline a little bit in my brain. Like Alucard is is of a normal human age, even though I know he's half human, half vampire, right? Like he's, mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. not cause Dracula, of course, you know, hundreds of years old, something or other, but yeah, he's just, a- I'm trying to just sort the timeline in my brain of from Lisa effectively. Cause, cause is it established when Lisa is staked that they had a kid? I, I, I can't remember that. So um, I'm trying to remember the distance of time. And I want to say 20 years, but a quick glance might be able to, because I I I seem to recall that there's 20 years in between when she um, 
falls in love with him and then doesn't. But I could be completely wrong about well, that. Well, because um, you pointed out, and I re- saw in my notes after the fact, like a doofus. No, it's twenty. It's it's twenty years. Yeah. What? What is? Go ahead. Uh, sorry, I interrupted you. I just no, seen, no. What is? Uh, no, what's twenty? So years? the very first scene that we see where Lisa confronts Dracula mm-hmm. and they begin to fall in love is in fourteen fifty five. The scene where she is burned at the stake is 1475. So, yes, Alucard as a being is, you know, south of 20, south yeah. of 20 years old. Okay. Um, okay, cool. I, ultimately, it doesn't matter. I was just trying to sort out the, the kind of you mm-hmm. know, figuring out uh, what we're talking about here. So it's a little difficult because animation wise, she looks like she doesn't age very much. But, you know, like that's. She has um, access to all of the science of history. <laughs> so, Are you open to venturing into some let's, thematic waters? Let's um, do it. Yeah, let's do it. This actually isn't my main sort of thought, but you, you, you made me think of it a minute ago. And, and, you know, we can spend a minute here if we want. But one thing I do, but we don't have to either. Um, one thing I always find myself not a super fan of in storytelling is like you just use the unforgiven template. This sort of ventures this direction. The, I was a heinous person. Something changes me that cha- that, that something is taken away from me. I return to being a heinous person. And mm-hmm. because I don't love the feeling that can happen in those types of stories that, well, you weren't changed anyway. You, you actually weren't, you, you were, this is, this is what you were to begin with. And, and thus what you shall be. Mm. henceforth and so, something i actually really love and i'm not speaking to unforgiving because i just don't remember its details but something i love about sure. this yeah. is they actually commit to dracula is changed yes and while the habits of his old life i.e a will to exterminate kind of crop up and creep in those are more old habits warring against changed essence. And that's mm-hmm. really fascinating and powerful. Does that make sense? Like, like I don't oh, feel like by the does. end of it, I don't feel like by the end of this season, he's now the Dracula of old. He's fighting for mm-hmm. his, you know, he's in a pitched battle. And so of course, you know, there's, yeah. there's fighting and that kind of thing, but I don't feel like it's a reversion to a pre Lisa sort of state. Um, um, Godbrand says something yeah. to, to, to substantiate even further what you're saying. Godbrand says something. It's very subtle and it's very quick, but it's pretty important. Godbrand says something when he's talking to Carmilla where he says, I still wouldn't want to go. I, I didn't write the quote down, but he says some version of, I still wouldn't want to go toe to toe with him. I still wouldn't want to take him on in a fight, but I get the impression he hasn't fed in a while. And mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's a notation of like, Lisa would not have endorsed him going out and feeding upon humans, Mm -hmm. you know, like Lisa in their relationship would not, she's her entire mission is I want to save humans and I want to heal them. And I want to be a physic to, to this land. So there's no way that in the 20 years of their time there, when she compelled him to live as a man, there's no way he was feeding on people. So, Again, that Godbrand observation is just so subtle and quick, but it's like, yeah, to your point, he is changed. He is he is different than what you would have expected Dracula to be, who you would have expected Dracula to be. Yeah, and I just really love, because of how surprising and unexpected 
and again, to use the word subversive, it is, I really love that. Um, you are you. And so I'm sure you've got some very interesting thoughts and things as well. But as I kind of <laughs> kept pondering, you know, the arc of episode one to the end of season two, episode one of season one to the end of season two, what I couldn't get away from, <clears throat> excuse me, what I couldn't get away from is this concept of empathy for enemy and you know this this like what what would it be like how would it change us how would it change us if we truly adopted a position of empathy for whom we might typically think of as enemy because i don't know there are terrible people in the world and I don't want to pretend otherwise or, or sort of downplay that. I mean, we've, we referenced it last week. We're recording in the same night once more in our country. Terrible people have done terrible things to not terrible people. And I don't know that right now is, is a moment of trying to, I don't know that's not, but I don't know that it's like, Oh, empathize with this person who committed extreme, extreme, extreme heinous, behavior um but a moment should come right where at least effort is made to i mean as you can tell there's a whole lot sort of swirling about and something that something yeah, um, I'll, I'll anchor it to a reel that that is easy to articulate even if it's hard to apply um i would encourage anyone this this theoretically could be a watcher as an actual recommend uh, our home is generally a big fan of Brene Brown. I don't read and listen to everything she puts out, but, uh, when stars collide such as they did recently, and she had Richard Rohr on her podcast, um, for, for two kind of 30 minute episodes, of course I listened to it. And one is just, just such a, a, a morsel of goodness listening to those two lovely people, speak in lovely ways about lovely things. Um, but something Roar says in it that I've heard before, probably from him, but that just really uh, uh, hit my brain and heart again in a new way. Uh, Cause we, we need to be reminded of, of the good um, is, is the word repent came up uh, mm. Mm. and he, Brene uh, uh, Brown is an incredibly learned and smart person, academic, uh, but not necessarily in the world of theology, whereas he is. And so she's using the word repent in a, to my memory in a particular way. That's a bit more uh, of the form of a more evangelical sort of definition. And he kind of checks her and he's like, well, you know, kind of repent um, as it's commonly used in the original language is just means to change one's mind. And they, they camp out there for a couple minutes and wow. it just kind of hasn't left me. And so this, this notion of empathy for enemy, this notion of what we, what, you know, kind of the more reductive, simplistic, one might say churchy use of the word repent is like, well, just stop doing what the bad thing you're doing, brother, you know, is, is really <laughs> just is, is actually, this is for me. It's not at all that. <laughs> It's not mm -hmm. at all. Stop your bad behavior. It's change your mind. 
find better mental and spiritual paths into health and wholeness towards brothers and sisters. Right. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, what I'm circling here is just how impressed and ultimately even kind of moved I am by the character work they do in Dracula and how, how and can that be instructive in ways yeah. we view others in the world? Because, you know, there's a lot of demonizing uh, mm. that happens in the rhetoric royal we, the general we use. Um, demonizing is meant to be a, a functional metaphor for uh, thinking ill of someone else. I worry that we're getting to a place if we aren't already there in certain language, certain rhetoric that demonizing isn't even metaphor anymore, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. And what does that mean? Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but ultimately I was just so moved and impressed with the character that work the show does on who is ostensibly as stated, one of the, 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 the greatest villains in the history of literature, um, coupled with this notion <laughs> of to change one's mind, you know, that these ideas, are kind of bouncing off each other in my, in my spirit. I don't, I don't really know where to go with that, but <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there's a, um, it's funny that you bring that up. I did, I did not listen to that Brene Brown and Richard Rohr conversation, but it's funny you bring up about the concept of repentance and a changing of mind. I've been thinking about something recently and two thoughts are kind of colliding in this concept about like changing your mind and, and um, just change, just are you really changed? And you talked about like, you know, the, re the reversion of you were one way, something is introduced that makes you be different. That thing is removed reversion back to what you mm -hmm. al al always were or whatever. But there are two elements of scripture, neither of whom, I, I, I haven't pulled them up, so neither of which I'm going to be able to articulate verbatim. But one of them, I believe, is in Proverbs. Uh, could be wrong about that, but uh, the, the, the scripture verse that says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So, as you think, as, so you are. Mm -hmm. You know, like, um, and um, the other one is a, a, a parable that Jesus told from the gospel of Matthew, I believe. And um, I, again, I don't have it pulled up, so I'm going to cite it as best I can from, from memory. Uh, and it's that there were these two sons uh, that, that uh, the father needed them to go work in the field. And one son says, yep, yep, I'll go do it. But then never, never goes to do it. And the other son says, no, I don't, I don't want to. And then later changes his mind and goes and does it. And the, the, message that Christ left his, that Jesus leaves his, um, his, his listeners there in that moment is, you know, it's one thing to agree to a thing outwardly. It's another thing to do, you know, what you, what you agree with or what you pontificate about is different and segmented than what you do. And butting that up against, the other passage where it says, as a person thinks in their heart, so so are they. It is our thoughts, and it is the way that our mind constructs our view of the world that 
drives how we navigate the world. It drives how we treat other people. It you know, like what you think about other people. You you started this whole exploration with you know the 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 need for empathy or the desire for empathy or, or something like that. And then there's this tension. And I think part of the I'm going to speak very very honestly and candidly from my heart. I think part of the tension that arises is we see a person has done a heinous thing and the warring factions, potentially warring factions, say meet out vengeance and punishment on one side, meet out vengeance and punishment, correct the wrong for the wrong that has been done. Some version of that and call that righteousness. The other side would say it is righteousness to empathize with enemy and it is righteousness to, 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 uh, seek to understand what drove and what brought us here. And I'm positing in this conversation something that I've been wrestling with about this very thing because good God, the, the political upheaval, the turmoil, the everything else is, I think it goes to something fundamental, a fundamental question we must ask ourselves. And that is, how do we think about people? What do we think about people? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking, I don't just mean friends, loved ones, people you don't care for very much. What do you think about people? How do you think about people? It touches for me in my heart the nerves of, do I think people are a sequence of actions and reactions? Chaos wrapped up in flesh? Do I think people are driven by spiritual forces pulling and, and pushing upon them? Do I believe people are an amalgamation of their experiences and their own sort of opinions and their inputs and their educations? Like, how do you think about people? And I think that, for me, is a more pressing and fundamental question to answer than what to do with what people have done. Like, how do you feel about people? And to me, I think about it, it challenges me when I when I would look to, you know, boy, there are personalities out there right now that if you stare too long at them, you will make yourself angry. Mm-hmm. You will make yourself sad. You will make yourself depressed. Just staring at them, and be like, how can you be that way? Mm-hmm. How can you be that way? And it challenges me. To try to, in my imagination, figure out how Jesus thought about people. And that's not as easy a question as you might think, because most people are just moved that he loved him and he did. It's not quite that simple. Maybe on a cosmic level, it is that simple. Maybe on an ultimate redemptive ramification level, it is that simple. But you look at the myriad of ways that he interacted with people. Some people, he looked at them immediately and said, come, come, follow me. Other people, he were like asked to follow him, and he was like, you go back home. And then there were other people who he like lashed out at and, and, and kind of verbally berated for all of their different behaviors and stuff like that. So there's a myriad, there's a spectrum of ways that Jesus interacted and engaged with people. And so it's a, it's a hard question for me to wrestle with of like, how did Jesus think about people, and how can I myself try to put on the mind of Christ towards people, which does not, by the examples of Jesus in Scripture, does not mean I just love and am friendly to everybody, does not necessarily mean I just 
passively absorb every nefarious thing that comes my way. It doesn't automatically mean I barge into every room and turn over tables in righteous zeal because all of those things are present and all of those things have their place and all of those things have some version of root in how we think about people and what we think is needed for the moment. And the, the, the last sort of thing that, that grips me as I wrestle with this is I think how I think about people is also some version of rooted in how I think about myself and how I treat myself and how I treat my own opinions. And to truly repent in the sense that Richard War uh, described to Brene Brown of changing your mind, I mean, like, that's, that's part of the transformative work that I believe we're unwilling to do. We're unwilling to allow, uh, largely unwilling to allow our minds to change about people. We, um, do you remember the Men in Black quote that I'm going to apply differently? The Men in Black quote where Will Smith um, urged Tommy Lee Jones to say, he said, like, you should just tell them about it because people are smart. And then Tommy Lee Jones said back to him, no, no, no. A person is smart. People are stupid. He said, a, pers- a person is smart, but people are stupid. And I think about that as a challenge to myself, again, applying it in a different way. It may be easy for me to love you. You're my friend. We have time served. We have, you know, it, it, it's easy for me to look at you or look at any number of people who have been nice to me, kind to me, generous to me, polite to me. Uh, giving to me. It's easy for me to look at them and love them or be kind and gracious back to them. But to get at the root of how I think about people, sorry to get so um, uh, existential right here so late in the episode, but to get right to the root of how I think about people, do I require that for people to deserve my politeness, my kindness, my respect? Do I require require that they... Do I require that they treat me with kindness, goodness? Do, do I require that? Is that how I think about people? Is how I think about people that they have to give me something before I give them something? Is how I think about people uh, that they have my goodwill, my trust, my care, my comfort, my advocacy until they disagree with me and then they lose that? Um, do is, is how I think about people that they will, um, you know, earn every bit of my my spiritual efforts to their well-being and care until I write them off as, you know, uh, a cynic or a uh, Democrat or a Republican or a whatever other overlay is like, is that how I think about people that I have now written them off once I've learned the thing about it? And that's what's challenging to me is it's challenging to me to confront and, and to remember the story of the two sons and say, it is super easy to say yes to God. That is the, the, the easiest thing in the world to say, yes, it is hard to allow the, the, the challenge to the way we think about his fearfully and wonderfully made creation to seep deep into our spirits and allow that to shift and change how we think about people. Um, not just the ones we like, because it says elsewhere in scripture, you know, if you're just good to the people that are good to you, what? What's different about that? Everybody is. (laughs) Everybody's good to the people who are good to them. But what is deeper and harder and more challenging is how do you think about people? And 
And how would that change? How would your answer to that question change the way you walked through the world? Um, it's challenging to me. It's really difficult. But um, I know that it's easy, you know, maybe my final button is just, it's easy for us to say, yes, we, oh man, I thought this was going to be my final button and then I'm, I risk I risk ramping it back up. <laughs> to say it. It is, it is easy to condemn a thing. There's a tremendous amount of passionate people out there just condemning everything. It is easy to condemn a thing. That is cheap and it is easy. I can stand here. I can put on record on mic on this podcast. You pick your social issue. You pick your, uh, your, your political platform. You pick your vice. You pick your sin. You pick whatever and I'll condemn it for you. What do you want? You give me a nickel and I'll condemn it. That's easy and it's cheap. To confront the way you think about people is hard because yes. that changes your behavior. To confront and challenge the way you engage with people is hard, and that changes your behavior. To really and truly do the homework and the effort and the prayer and the contemplation and the soul-searching to say, I need to surrender to Christ how I think about people, to put on the mind of Christ toward people, if I'm truly going to affect any version or any degree of change in my little tiny world around me, I have to confront how I think about people and get it away from the 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 son in the parable who is just like, yeah, I'll do what you want, I'll do what you want, and then never steps foot in the field to do the work. I need to be the one who's like, I don't know if I can do that. The other son who's like, I don't know if I can do that, I'm not going out there, but then thinks better of it, changes their mind, and sets about doing the work. That is challenging to me um, in this conversation about vampires and um, and castles. <laughs> so. Drax moving castle. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, it feels like there's a lot that how, how to pick that stuff apart. It's challenging, but I have thought a lot. I know it's big. In these recent days of things that here's a really crappy thing about um i want to say christians maybe it's just humans but it gets amplified when you when you weave a spiritual dynamic into it is man we really want and we really love either or yeah you know Heaven or hell, in or out, gay or straight, life or choice. Like, we really want clean, distinct markers to know that we're in. Yeah. And that there is, or that there are those who are out. We, we kind of crave there being an out group. And... I've just been thinking a lot lately about that's too easy. And if something's too easy, it's probably not God, you know, trying to pull at the thread of what it feels like the picture is you're painting. It's like, it is harder to say, I will not choose. I'm not using these words in a political context. I will not choose a right or a left. I will choose right. a middle, a different, a better, a higher. Yeah. I will not be pro-choice or pro-life because these are false 
binaries and choices. I will be different, other, better, higher. I will not be pick your binary. Like it's too easy. It's too easy to just be one thing or the, to be the in thing or the out thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in Castlevania seasons one and two, a character like Dracula makes that even more clear like to to him who is power made manifest he's clearly in humans are clearly out mm-hmm. until suddenly they're not and he is re- and he repents of that yeah. position right and yeah. and is kind of crippled for the rest of his existence because of it but there's but that's also maybe okay go ahead yeah no uh, apologies for cutting in but the, but it's even more complicated than that because humans were cattle to him livestock then he fell in love with one and then they killed the one that he loved mm-hmm. so now he's like he can't write them off that way anymore he had that great in one of those more talky episodes he had that great observation with I, I think it was Hector, but it might have been Isaac. But he had that great observation talking about like it's not that simple. They call them livestock, and so they're not going to win this war. They don't understand because they think that they're just cattle to be fed or whatever. No, there's a deeply rooted wound here. There's a deeply problematic and 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 uh, a deeply rooted conflict in all of that. And and what ultimately? What's the name of that episode? The episode wherein he changes his mind, loses his life, and all of these conflicting conflagrations come together in Dracula. What's the name of that episode, episode seven? For love. For love. And if there is anything that in our big haughty talk where we want haughty to try talk. to re- – Haughty talk. <laughs> <laughs> where we want to try to define things, where we want to try to reduce things down to simple singular binaries – um, you know, this or that, uh, one or the other, yes or no, any of those kind of things. And I've said this before on the show, but Jesus consistently rejected that. Right. Whenever they tried to confront him with that, he consistently asked them a better question, pivoted the conversation to something that was more complicated and, to your point, harder. It's harder to do. Um, and the reason it's harder to do is because we can't control it. That's why it's harder. It's, I believe, I deeply believe, perhaps falsely so, that once you begin to do the work, that I think that work begins to come more naturally. I think it's hard to do because we can't control it. You have to relinquish your sense of control over how you feel because the world will not break down into simple, singular binaries. It will not break down into like, you know, Start with the easy ones. It will not break down into just like, oh, yeah, well, Nazis are evil and burn them all. There are certain things that seem on the surface like they would be really easy to just like, well, just stand there. Just just, just stand in that place. But then you begin to realize that how you think about people informs that conversation in a way that challenges you in ways you can't control. And you – it's just not that simple. Right. <laughs> it's just, it's just mean, not that simple. What just came to mind is – who sinned, this man or his parents? Oh my gosh! Neither, yes. neither. Yes, mm-hmm. neither. Like we, of God, of ourselves, of each other, 
we demand some sort of false choice into mm-hmm. the and and talk about empathy for enemy. I get it. Like I I would love it. I would love it. I would love it. I would love it to say, "Oh, yeah, you guys are so right. It is killing babies. I'm right there with you." <laughs> all of it. Every bit of it. It's all that's that's all it is. You you have been right in this incendiary language. I don't I don't like crave to be in that mind space, but it'd be a hell of a lot easier. It'd be a hell it of a lot easier. So much easier than yeah. slings and arrows from both of them because I'm not more one or the other because right. I like to think, well, I don't think it's this effing simple. And no, it's not. I applaud your capacity to get there. I'm I don't want to be there. No. Mm-hmm. Um, it is harder, and it kind of sucks, but yeah. it's yeah. <laughs> Wrestling. I'll I'll say this, and then we 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 got to end it. Um, I, I, you raised the question. You know the 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 opposing sides that Jesus presented. Uh, you know, among them that come to mind, obviously, you know, he was presented with who sinned this man or his parents. And he of course rejected that. There was also the, the law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say? You know, and then he presented back to the woman uh, who was caught in the act of, of adultery. Uh, you know, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. And then there's one, you know, if, or that Jesus gave that I always find very compelling where he said, which of these is easier to say that this man, your sins are forgiven you or rise up and walk home. Like which is which is easier to deal with the spiritual root of things or to deal with just to 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 navigate the physical and to navigate the 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 superficial and what it all boils down to for me at the risk of being reductive and simple is that it's not that simple right. is that virtual virtually pick any issue where you would love to just say this or this that that or that and just recognize that Christ looks deeper farther nearer in in every way in and all around you and is going to ask different questions of you and is going to push and pull and and provoke different things in you because the moment that you say like i have got this i th- this this thing is mine i have acquired it then um it's gone from you because that's just too easy and and maybe to bring it back home to a note the moment that you say i've arrived i've got it i've captured it that's it you will no longer change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You will no longer be any different. And one thing I deeply believe is that part of the constant of life is an ever-present change that now needs to progress to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And if you say to yourself, I have grasped it, I have, I have acquired it, I have obtained it, it is mine, I put it in my pocket, I walk forward with it, you will never change. That's that's it. That's done. And the only things, this is pithy, but the only things that don't change are uh, divine or dead. And we will not be uh, one. Uh, we might, in our arrogance, become the other. So, yeah. I know I'd, it, it doesn't need to be said to you, but, you know, we've been at this thing for five years and, and have a lot of folks who've been with us for a sizable portion of that time. I am sort of apologizing ahead of time for 
what will become probably a steady drumbeat of the things our country is facing weighing heavy on my heart because I'm a real person who lives in the real world with a real family that is, you know, trying to not settle for simple. And so, yeah, yeah. Uh, some listeners might think, man, let's pick a different topic, Nathan. That's, that's fine. It's fair. I kind of wish I could right now. Yeah. It's not right now. It might not be the case. So, you know, it's not a luxury. Um, sort of apology for, for what will probably become a recurring conversation point. Um, but nonetheless, this is Castlevania. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, it's, it's a really good show. It's a really good show. Um, it's thoughtful and I'm, I'm appreciative of that. You want to take this castle to the, you want to spin the little gyroscope sure. and take it to the yeah, fog the meter? Wheel. And, 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 and <laughs> oh, that's a good call out. Um, <laughs> so fog meter, our very specific metric of fear and God, wherein we rate the uh, material that we cover on their scares and their substance. Castlevania, the Netflix season, the Netflix, the Netflix animated series, specifically focusing on seasons one and two. There are three and four, but they do not play into this rating. Um, I'll start with fear. Um, I mean, it's not a show to give you nightmares. That's not its, its substance, but in terms of grotesqueness, um, violence and graphicness and, 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 and those things that would, uh, center around that, I would say this is pretty, pretty darn strong to that end. So while not uh nightmarish spooky fear, I'm going to give it an eight. I was pondering an, an all eight. Um, um, yeah, I think your eight, I will join. Um, I, um, I kind of want it to be a 10, you know, like, like, mm, mm, you know, mm-hmm. it, I'm not saying I want seasons one and two to be a 10 cause I don't think they are. I'm saying my impulse is I wish there was a little more kind of yeah, meat yeah. on the bone, uh, kind of gross pun intended. Um, but yeah, eight feels a bit more appropriate for what we actually get. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say for the God meter? Man, I think, um, I don't think it's a 10, so I'm not landing there, but signaling how high I do think of it. I I think I'm going to hedge on a nine because I think for uh, purely based on what we have currently consumed for the show, what I have only consumed. Um, yeah, yeah. They took what probably almost anyone would have expected to be, you know, the mustache twirling villain and turned it into one of the richest characters I've seen on any show recently. And yeah, absolutely. That's incredibly effective storytelling. It's incredibly, uh, uh, masterful, uh, uh, writing (laughs) just absolutely pure skill. Mm -hmm. And what, cause it's not just, um, I'm going to pick, this is going to seem, this is random. Uh, cause I haven't even watched the show. It's not, uh, Saul Goodman hmm. kind of random hmm. character mm-hmm. that we're doing rich character work with. This is yes. Dracula. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's an like icon. The, it's, it's the an antithesis icon. of empathy. Um, mm-hmm. And right. you took that character and made me feel depth and profundity about his experience and right. the capacity yes. to do that mm-hmm. uh, signals that there's a lot kind of at work in 
mm-hmm. what they're working on. So, so yeah, I, I don't feel like I'm grading on a curve here to, to offer it a nine here. No, absolutely. And I, I don't disagree with you for largely the same reasons. I don't, it doesn't quite feel right to give it a 10. Um, but, uh, but I think it is scratching at some deeply, deeply thoughtful things that, uh, taking a character like that, which could have, I love your words, could have easily just been mustache twirling and reductive and carbon copy. And I have hated some of the treatments of Dracula in film and television series before. And this is, uh, this is among my favorite treatments of the character. So yes, it's a nine for me as well. Um, and that means fairly simply, we give Castlevania seasons one and two an eight and a half out of 10 on the fog meter. Uh, very substantive showing for an animated horror show. Do you recommend it? For sure. I don't yep. love every single thing about uh, these two seasons, but the, the arc and the heart of it and it's, it's finer points are, mm-hmm. they're exceptional. It's exceptional. Yes. Yeah. For any, for myself, to anyone who is remotely interested, I would recommend it. I, you know, I do think you kind of have to be into this thing kind of, you know, it's not accessible broadly to, to people who aren't already sort of front loaded as being interested in it. Um, so that's a, a hedge a bit, but to anyone remotely interested in it, yes. If you are on the fence, you're like, oh, I've been meaning to check that out, then prioritize it yeah. because it will be worth your time. Um, so yeah, this was fun. Maybe at some point we'll get to seasons three and four, uh, but we're going to leave Castlevania in the books. We're going to leave hashtag scare tunes in the books, and uh, we're going to move on to other fun things. We do have another series on the horizon that we're going to be starting, but next week, Nathan, Great. it's time for another Quarterly King. Man. We've been talking it up. I've missed we've it. Been, we've been mentioning it for a long time. Listen, there's material out there to enjoy. If if you have not you have if you have not started already you have one week to read the book Firestarter by Stephen King uh, readily available on the Peacock Network or, or other streaming platforms of choice um, is the 1984 film directed by Mark Lester that was an adaptation starring Drew Barrymore and George C Scott there is a very recent adaptation starring Zac Efron that is available also streaming on the Peacock uh, network or is uh, available in theaters as well of Firestarter. Um, So yes, please, by all means, acquaint yourself with that material. We are going to, in some degree, be covering all three of those entry points for it, and we will see you right back here next week for our Quarterly King on Stephen King's Firestarter. Nathan, thank you so much for this conversation. Listeners, thank you so much for sticking with us, and as we say on every single episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation, and in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media, essays, and episode archive merchandise and more. If you love what we do, please consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast. There you'll unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online event access, and so much more. We want to issue a special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork, also to our assortment of talented musicians, including Andrew Nelson, The Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes, and also to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music. Special thanks also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. 
Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.